1: Hello listeners, and welcome back to Loose Units, Loose Ends. I'm Paul, that's John, and good God, Dad, it's good to be
2: back, isn't it? I'm literally erupting.
1: Right, how would you describe, like, what, what does that mean exactly? You mean you're just excited, you have I'm, lots of energy? I'm excited,
2: or- I'm, I'm bursting out of my skin. Sure, okay. I, I, I want to express genuine, and this is a pretty, sort of, not a weird word I'm going to use, but I want to express... Love to our listeners all over the world, and and we've 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 had a break. It's I think it's been our first break in two and a half years. It's been a long time, and we did we did lockdown. We did the
1: whole COVID thing for yeah about two years, two episodes a week, mm. no
2: breaks, and and I, I was suffering. Look, I I understand why we had a break, mm. and I truly now looking back on the break. I feel good about it yeah but but when you suggested well we suggested that we have a bit of a break I, I i suffered pangs of kind of i was a bit oh god i was i was down like pre-withdrawals you know pre-withdrawals yeah yeah and um you know because it's so sort of in my dna and i was at a loose end Mm. Um, can you imagine being a loose unit at a loose end? Yes, every day. But what's
1: interesting is the the withdrawals you're describing, right? Mm. Did you get anything like that when you quit the police force? Because I mean, as far as far as I can see, your entire career
2: has been you trying to deal with the withdrawals of the rush that you got from being a cop. I the listeners will recall every time I saw or heard a police car go by mm. after I'd left the New South Wales Police Force. I I suffered. Um, I suffered, you know, I, I was extremely depressed mm. and, um, and I, I seriously considered rejoining. Uh, but then I thought, hang on a sec, you know, I looked at why I'd left the police force. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, look, I, it took me years and, and, and funnily enough, when I left the fire brigade after 10 years, I would not look at fire engines even though they'd be going past me um, you know under lights and siren, mm. I just wouldn't I would avert my gaze really? Yeah, I just I just because you know that I'd recognize the fires and they'd um, you know they'd wave and I just needed to get it I needed to have that clean break. Right. Um, and speaking of averting one's gaze, mm-hmm. um, Christine and I we were having coffee. in fact Christine's still having coffee as we speak I saw something coming towards me uh, or, or in my direction and I was so shocked I, I kind of I just I was standing away from Christine I was on the phone I said to Christine I said Christine have a look behind you I said just you have to look and she sort of twisted around on the seat and looked up the hill and about maybe 15 metres away was a person walking down towards sort of all the people in the coffee shop on the footpath and that person, I wasn't sure whether they were going to stop for coffee or keep going and this person, this guy, he was wearing basically... Colourful underpants. And they were super, super tight. And I'm just... I was literally staring, but I was aware that... Sorry, Dad, you mean just underpants? Oh, he had like a a silk, um, tight, silky satin singlet. Mm -hmm. I thought I was hallucinating. I probably asked Christine to have a look as well because I needed to confirm that I wasn't hallucinating. Right. But as this person, and they were wearing incredibly large, oversized sunglasses, and they were on the mobile phone, and a completely oblivious to every single person on the footpath, literally just j- jaws dropping. And I, I I couldn't avert my gaze. And I looked down at this particular person's... Um, <laughs> it's so funny because you... <laughs> Anyway, the thing, the point of the story, Paul, is that because we we mentioned averting one's gaze, like I couldn't look at fire engines for some time. Right. But then I realized, and I I did a double take because this guy's right testicle was sticking out of his underpants. No, it wasn't. It was. It was extraordinary. I I just, I was focused on his crutch. And as he walked past me, I then was thinking, is this cool? But it was such an extraordinary sight. Isn't that an amazing story? You know what you need to do is just if you you need to tell him so he can tuck it in. He was walking like a male, like a model on a catwalk. Right. right. They have that certain walk. Yeah. That um, I don't think he. Re- <clears throat> I don't think he realised that that was the case. Sure. And he'd he obviously um, forgot to or inadvertently left it out. Or mm. well, maybe it's like the style, you know, like parting your head at the side. Yeah. Yep, it could, it could catch on. But, I mean, doesn't that strike you? And, of course, one's quite conscious of the fact that one is staring. And because of his massive glasses, I mm-hmm. couldn't tell whether he was actually looking back at me. Right, okay. Anyway, that's that's the story. It's just a local story. but Okay, yeah.
1: so after our first break in two years, the first story you
2: tell is about a man's testicle. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, Look, you know, I know it sounds weird and wacky, Paul, but you know, that's a good way to break the ice.
1: Yeah, well, now that the ice is broken with a large nut, I think what I was gonna do is run through the uh Facebook page because we haven't really touched any of the wonderful things that people have been posting over the break that we've taken. And Dad, apart from people begging for us to come back, which we mm. are by the way. Oh yep. yes, let's just reestablish things. Loose Units is back. So we thought we'd start with the Loose Ends this week just to kind of break things, you know, just to, just to set things off. And we'll be back next week with more episodes. So Loose Units, the drought is over. We just, we needed a break. We were burned out. You know, everyone needs to kind of stop and just take a moment for themselves. So we've had some us time. We've done some pampering, some manicures, some mani-pedis, so we're feeling better. So uh marie on the facebook page shared this story and this isn't a funny story it it just taps into something that you mentioned quite a few times dad back mm. when you were in the fire brigade mm. and when we were doing hot stuff coming through which i believe was season three of loose units so i will read the headline this is from abc news on the 16th of january which is one day after my 39th birthday oh my god i'm feeling old here we go Volunteer firefighter 19 charged with deliberately lighting nine fires in Perth Hills. A 19 year old volunteer firefighter has been accused of deliberately lighting multiple blazes, including one that sparked a major emergency on Boxing Day. Now, I'm not going to read his name, mm-hmm. but uh, he's appeared in court charged with deliberately lighting nine fires between December 23 and January 15. Among those blazes were the December 26th Warolloo Wurl- fire, which destroyed a house and several sheds. That fire occurred him in an extreme heatway with many more homes barely saved. Now, I know that you've said before that a lot of firebugs join the fire brigade, mm, mm, mm. But, but I mean, 19 seems pretty young, and also that period is the it's that's the hottest time we have, right? Mm, mm.
2: Look, Paul, um, if you're a pyromaniac, yeah, in other words, you you go around lighting fires, but quite a few of these people. Derive um, sexual, sex, pleasure. sexual pleasure yeah. um, from just the thrill, and I, I think it's fair to say that if you and Tegan are sitting in winter in a beautiful country retreat, mm. glass of wine in hand, maybe reclining in nice bean bags, oh. um, for example,
1: that's very specific. But
2: go on, yep, and you are looking into the the fire. You have to admit that it's hypnotic and just bloody wonderful to look at. Yeah. Now, just imagine that sensation of feeling that this is quite. Because fire is, it's amazing. And, but imagine taking that to the next step and seeing a massive fire, knowing that you lit it. Then you can stand back and you can watch all the emergency services and you might not have the initial intention of causing serious harm in fact i suppose if someone dies as a result of your actions i i imagine the grief would be intense unless you're just a cold-blooded psychopath which is possible as well but
1: so, so the objective from an arsonist is it to it's not to
2: kill people with fire, is no, it? You're, no. It, it's just to light the biggest fire possible. So yeah. And also, it... yeah, but it can mm. be also for insurance purposes, right? Right. Um, I mean, there was that shop owner in Balmain that lit the fire, but mm. unbeknownst to him, was the family upstairs. Oh fuck! And they right. all died. And that was arson for insurance purposes. A very, very, very common offence, particularly yeah. with motor vehicles. Yeah. And um, like these gangland shootings that are happening up in Sydney. You know, the two the two gangs, they, they're they doing these sort of midday assassinations, basically. Can and I just, hang yep, on, just, yep. just wind it back, Dad, because
1: mm. I'll be honest, the news for the past, you know, however many years we've been engaged in whatever you would call this period in history has mm. been a bit of a bummer. And mm. I know a lot of people lo- use loose units to kind of escape mm. from that stuff. Mm. And I have taken a break, not just from loose units, but kind of from... Pretty much any news that isn't COVID-related has been stuff that I've been avoiding. Mm. So, can you
2: please enlighten me? Because I didn't know about this. Mm. This is a, this is an ongoing saga in Sydney. Oh, um, between two families. Yep. Um, and they it's a tit for tat thing. So, you know, imagine if it was the you know, the Verhoevens versus the Higginbothams, okay? Yeah, sure. We, we were two crime families. Yeah. And I... Now, I know that Teagan's mum and dad, I mean, I haven't been there, but I know they live on a property in regional Victoria. Mm-hmm. So that would create certain problems in terms of me bumping off one of their relatives. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, think about it's a, it's a small town, I believe they, they they live in or near. So the mere fact that it's a small regional town it, it kind of makes it difficult to to assassinate. So you'd have to come up with various, you know techniques. So I am I managed to sort of commit a crime where, Initially, you might just want to scare someone in the family. It could be over a debt. It could be over drug territory. There are many, many things these things start off over. But if I manage to succeed, then the Higginbothams, they will want retribution. It takes a very, very big person to say enough is enough. So these things escalate. So the Higginbothams then come up to Sydney and they then take out one of our family and then these things just, they continue. And that's what's been happening in Sydney. People are being gunned down. Um, But I was kind of, the, the connection to arson was that all the motor vehicles that are used in these crimes are always found burnt out to destroy all forensic evidence. Right. That's the level these people work at. So yes, it's it's been a it's been a, a real problem up here, and I guess one of the things about these um, family uh, you know gang feuds is that they really like the mafia do have a, a, a you know a philosophy or a code of silence, and the police are more than aware that they will get no information. So the families, they, the networks, the criminal networks here in Sydney, and it would definitely be the same in Melbourne and every capital city and probably every place across the world, mm-hmm. these families, they keep things within the families. And it's it's very, very difficult for the police to, to prosecute because they're, even if there are witnesses to these crimes, um, there's a terrible fear. I mean, Paul, if you and Tegan were... Um, I know you want our families to get engaged no, in a blood feud. No, no, problem. no, but hear me out. Imagine if yeah. you and Tegan are are enjoying a, you know, a sort of a, a brief interlude on your balcony, for example, and you witness a what is undeniably a gangland killing. Right. Okay. I mean, you would really have to be very, very um, sort of assured by the by the police that if you gave any information that you would be protected. Mm. Because you're dealing with some very, very scary, in fact, probably the most scary people in society. And they do work on levels that that are quite and they work on fear. And you know, you you would have to and I'm I'm not saying, you know, don't don't sort of share information as to what you saw but i mean there was a case just recently in sydney where a guy had just got out of jail and they've got cc footage of it and it's quite extraordinary a car rocks up during the day five guys get out of a car and kidnap this guy jesus okay and they held him for three days and you can only imagine what he went through so but but they let him live and you know to, to sort of say to to everyone look we don't we don't muck around but can you imagine that that, that just innocent bystanders just ha- that happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time witnessing this incredible frightening dramatic real life not not tv it's not this is not fiction this is something and you're right just standing there and you're thinking shit what what do I do? And do I take? You know, you grab a registration number of a car, knowing knowing that that particular car within thirty minutes will be will be well alight, probably in an industrial area. Mm. So it's um, mate, it's 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 incredibly creepy. And I know that you have an aversion, which is so weird because the whole concept of the whole loose units. I mean, you write about grisly stuff, and I also know that you, that you know it's it's upsetting, and and I agree, and I think. It's been good to have had a bit of a break as well from Mm. all that sort of stuff.
0: Um, Well,
1: well, the actual crime family, so it's the Hamzy and the Alamadine crime families, and apparently it's like a long-running feud. And the Mm. last... Yeah, so it looks like it's been going on for quite a while, but this isn't this Sydney CBD. Mm. Jesus.
2: Mate, there have been been people that have come out of really, really crowded restaurants at night time. Like, we're talking major venues that... I did in inadverted commas um you know normal people mm. go to and you know there was the case where the guy walked out of this very famous restaurant at nighttime and he was just shot on the on the steps of the restaurant
1: yeah apparently there have been 30 major violent incidents between gangs over the past 18 months oh. which is like a lot and I'm looking here at photos of burnt out vehicles there's assassinations um ambushes
2: Jesus, it's really really. and, and I, I have um, in my picture hanging business, yeah I've worked for um, a couple of these these types of people. Yeah. Um, have I ever mentioned that? No, yeah. no. Mm. I, I have a few clients that um, oh boy, mate, it's it's really scary.
0: Ready to pop the question?
3: to find out if it's right for you.
2: I have worked for... Because um, if you're a really bad person, let's say you're a rapist or a murderer or a pedophile or a psychopath or a, like a multiple mass murderer, you know, these people, they do live in houses and some of them believe it or not, like paintings, like art. And some of them have shitloads of money. Of course. And if you want to offload some dirty money, some cash, you can go to the casino or you can go to an auction and buy some really cool art. And that's a really good way to launder shitloads of money. Mm. And then when it comes to hanging the beautiful paintings that are worth a lot of money in their magnificent houses and penthouses and amazing places that I've been into, what do they do? Mm, they could hang it themselves or they could get someone in like me. So I have been into some of the most extraordinary situations that, I mean, I have worked for a guy every single time I've seen him. Now, he's got three permanent bodyguards, three. Right. And they are with him wherever he goes. All his cars, um, and I don't want to sort of sound a bit cheesy, a bit corny, but they're all black. They're all they've all got tinted windows. They're all registered interstate, and this guy moves frequently. And if you ever Google any of his locations, because I've tried to do a, a little bit of sort of research on the QT, it's just a blur. His house is blurred out on Google Maps. Right. Which I think is fascinating. And yeah, I get to see some interesting things, and one guy in particular that's been shot quite a few times. Yeah. Um, and this may interest you slightly, Paul, and that is that I invited him to the book launch. Now, no, I, didn't, you, you I didn't, didn't tell you about that. Um, but yes, I invited him um, because. I didn't want him to find out about my background. So I was very, very open with him. So you thought, uh, wait,
1: you didn't want him to find out you are a cop, so you thought the best way was to hide in plain sight and invite him to a book launch where there was a book being written about you
2: being a cop? Yes. (laughs) And it's so funny because I'm I'm, I'm not going to sort of go on too much about this to you and the listeners, but this is a little bit of... I'll just give you a, a snippet of something that I find kind of slightly exciting in Mm. a weird way and that is that this particular guy has been shot okay Mm. he was shot quite a few times but not with the view of killing him they shot him in a particular part of his body it was pretty bad and he's got a bit of a limp and the first time i met this guy one of his bodyguards came up to me and said oh um he just kind of weirdly wanted to explain to me why his boss was limping, oh, and okay. he said to me, which is so weird. He said, mm-hmm. "Oh, he fell off a ladder," and I thought, "Well, no, he's clearly been shot," and because I could see some of the the bullet, the entry wounds. Yeah, but I just thought it was rather sweet. Um, I'd love to tell you a lot more about this particular person, but I won't because I've got to be very, very cautious. Um, And bearing in mind also, Paul, that, you know, I have a client in Sydney and they've got two panic rooms, okay? Yeah. And a panic room is, as we all know, a place where if there's a home invasion, they can get into this room, hit this almighty Switch and a three-inch steel door locks yeah. them in. Yeah, I mean, isn't that extraordinary, Paul? It's bananas to think that you actually there are people in this city that live their lives in a perpetual state of let's let's face it, it's it's fear. Mm. So there is would an you, underbelly. In would this. you ever consider getting a panic room? No, not on your Nelly. Oh, never. Right. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't afford a panic room, hmm. and. Look no, but it's 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 incredible, so yeah i get to I get to see and mix with some you know, so if you're a really bad person um you, you one should never make the assumption that you can't have very very you know good taste and a fine sense of the aesthetic it It's not something just for you know just for the yeah it it goes across the board good taste and bad taste, doesn't it absolutely, I mean, they say money can't buy taste.
1: But if you met someone who was a horrifying criminal, mm. it sounds like you have. I have definitely do, have. You do have. you have any moral compunctions about taking their money?
2: Um, that's a very very good question. Um, not always, but funnily enough, Paul, and I'm. It's weird that you've touched on that. Is that recently? And I've got to be exceptionally careful because I know that some of these people do listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I recently, um. I dropped a client. Um, Interesting. I dropped a client on on moral grounds. Really? Let's it that way, yeah. But I'm I, I'm I'd love to tell you and everyone about wow. a bit more about this particular person. But I'm I'm just going to say that he has benefited because of COVID. Right. Um, he's involved in a very grubby industry. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I work for another client that moves every 6 months. He only lives in penthouses in Sydney. Right. And he just he's a very unusual guy and he he's he's very very unusual. He he can't be in the the place when I'm working. He just leaves money on the table and he just vanishes. And he's a really he's a mysterious, fascinating, you know, guy with the most extraordinary art collection. I mean, I have been into private houses in this city and I've had to sign confidentiality agreements mm. prior to going in because I've been told that you will see art that is uh, significant on an international stage and no one knows where it is. So whenever you see in great textbooks amazing images of extraordinary paintings and at I, the bottom it says like this is private a private collection. collection. Yep, yep, yep. I have seen a fair bit of that stuff and there's so much money floating around and you know as I said it's the most amazing way to offload you know dirty money
1: yeah of course because plus I find it so interesting a lot of people who have you know really horrifying acts that have gotten them their money find do you think it kind of sates their conscience a little bit and also makes them feel like they are kind of One of the kind of core uh, kind of dilemmas at the center of the organized crime film genre, you know, Mm. stuff like The Sopranos and Goodfellas, Mm. is that they are trying to get as much money as possible to live up to some ideal of being better than they Mm. feel like they are. Like, Mm. you know, the whole thing of pursuing the American dream, trying Mm. to just have as much stuff as possible to legitimize yourself. Do you think the pursuit of art comes from an actual love of art? Or do you think it comes from them trying to be part of a class, like a class level that they feel like maybe they can't reach otherwise, right? Like, does that make sense? Mm,
2: It does, but I also firmly believe, Paul, that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter about your level of education. If you have, I mean, okay, Australians are renowned in our incredible numbers for going to art galleries and museums. You go to any art gallery in this country, go to the NGV, go to the the Art Gallery of New South Wales, go to the magnificent galleries in in, in Adelaide, Um, every city, uh, you know, Brisbane, with their Indigenous collection. They're always packed. People love, they love, love beautiful art. And like I say to people, there's a great chasm between great art and, you know, you go to your little sort of weekend sort of, art amateur art show in a hall in some suburb you know and you stand and look at that art then you then you are taken to great art and that the chasm between people just have an innate sense of what is magnificent and yes art is an amazing way to aside from the fact that I mean you can I mean a lot of people buy art for investment no doubt about it I hang a lot of investment art but you know if you're going to have it in in your house you know on your walls like like for example you and Tegan you've got some bloody awesome art that might I say I've hung for you and um it's um you know it makes you feel it's just makes you feel good and but conversely there are some incredibly wealthy people out there that have got no taste in art at all and sometimes I hang absolute you know not not the best stuff which makes me cringe a little bit but you know, it's also subjective. Um, But back to my point, it's a very good way to uh, to offload art. But speaking about sort of like in Sydney, we've got organized crime and a lot of people that live on the North Shore that children go to some of the best schools and the eastern suburbs, some of the best schools, you know, in Australia, if you, you know, if you say $40,000 a year is an indicator of a great school, but something that's going to make these people feel a little bit creepy and crawly and make maybe perhaps give them you know make them feel a bit weird is that a lot of these uh, organized crime sort of criminals uh, like the crime families and a lot of the for example the bikey gangs their children go to the best schools in the country and they're dropped off at these incredible schools in the big black um you know um, range rovers etc so I think it's a weird, not weird, but I guess if you're a criminal and you've got shitloads of money, maybe you think I would like to at least give my children a really, really good education. But also, I think they feel that it's sort of sanitising. Yes, their their sort of their lifestyle. Um, you know, if if look, it's so just so so fascinating. Oh, I heard a very very disturbing story. Very very disturbing story. From a, from a source, one of my clients, and when I heard the story that I've never told you, Paul, and I certainly haven't told the listeners, and that is that at the height of COVID in Sydney, um, a particular, um, let's say, crime family, they, uh, and I'm talking about when things were absolutely 100% locked down, you couldn't do anything. A particular group of, like a, and a fairly big number of uh, of this sort of criminal organisation, they went to uh, one of the very best hotels uh, in Sydney, and they had a, they just had, they just went to town, and money meant nothing. They they splurged. They had an incredible party, and when I heard that story, I was deeply offended and upset because I realized that this particular, um, um, sort of five-star hotel was complicit, and it made me also think that these people have utter disdain for the rules, and, you know, I just, it made me, it made me sad, I guess, and, um, yeah, so there are you know lots of things that, that happen behind the scenes. And yeah. if you've got lots of money...
1: I know, Dad, that's not... I mean, that's not just organised criminals. I mean, I'll close out with this. So part of... When COVID started, yeah, when it actually just kicked off and we're all a bit like, oh, shit, what's this? And the lockdown stuff happened. Um, this story hit about a Melbourne woman who got COVID while she was on a ski holiday uh, in Aspen. Mm. Um, I and, remember. Yeah, and she was... These were just like rich white people who lived in Malvern and Turak and stuff, and got on social media and posted photos about it. And they had money, and they didn't give a shit, and they spread it. And they didn't get raked over the coals by the media, uh, you know. They didn't they didn't cop it like like any anyone else did because you know rich people do shitty things and shitty entitled things. And I guess it doesn't really matter what side of the tracks you're from or where you get your money from if you're rich, you you will, I think inevitably try and bend the rules for yourself. And I think that's the cause of many problems. So, yeah, I don't think this is a class thing. I think literally if you are rich, there's always a risk of you just kind of abusing that, you know. And it really does shit me up the wall that people did that with COVID, uh, you know, and throw huge parties and do all kinds of stuff and not get penalized like the rest of us did. But, you know... It happens, mm. it happens, mm. and it's it's entirely possible that the aspen dickheads and the organized criminals maybe have very similar art tastes. I don't mm. know. yeah, Dad, we have covered so much goddamn ground in our first episode back, and I'm really glad we started with loose ends. It's been nice to just sort of shoot the shit and go off topic. But we did get to crime, we got there, you mm. know eventually. Mm. Mm. Paul, yeah. I,
2: I'm so stoked to be back and I'm I made it's st- I feel. You know, it's like putting a, a glove on. It's just a, it's a perfect fit. Yep. Um, I've, I'm, I'm really, it's kind of, I, I don't know whether the people, I, I just want to share this tiny little thing with, with all our listeners and that is that, you know, it's become such a part of my life that when I am talking to you on the podcast, Yeah. I feel super relaxed and chilled with you. Mm -hmm. And I feel we relate really, really well and I feel really comfortable. And it's like sort of a fireside chat with a dear friend and it's unreal. But then sometimes when I actually (laughs) am with you face to face, (laughs) it's kind of a bit... Do you get that sense that I I can't quite put my finger on a pole? No, no, no. Can I... uh, Dad, I've thought about this. I think I figured it
1: out. It's because we do some. I think we've kind of broken our brains a little bit with this podcast. What's happened is we save the real, <laughs> we save I think the you're actual, right. we save the fun stuff where we actually want to talk and chat like friends. Mm. For the fucking show, Mm. so when we talk in person, it's all really perfunctory business stuff. I know it's weird, isn't it? Oh god! And it sucks because we can't. Because but and I talk about this occasionally with Tegan. It's like before the show, you and I would call, would we talk, and we sounded like really happy to talk to each other. The second we talk on the phone now, it's like, when are we doing the next thing? Okay, yep, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yep, Mm. yeah. Okay, well, uh, okay, eight thirty, and then it's just like brief. Almost rude texts of just like mm. numbers and yes and no. Mm. But, this, but the real father son stuff happens on the mic. Mm. And there was a time where we would start talking on the phone and we'd start telling jokes and having fun. And we'd literally go, no, 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 no save it for the podcast. Mm. And we still mm. do that. Mm. Are
2: you worried that we've killed our relationship? No, no, no. No, I, look, I just, uh, the fact is that I'm glad to hear you say that because that makes me feel somewhat more comfortable because it has been bugging me a little bit. Yeah. Um but it's really, really good and it's just weird. It's like it's like a switch, isn't it? It's like yes yeah. sort of you know. But um would I be able to finish with a joke, Paul? Yes, please. Please. Okay, so um a rabbi uh-huh. oh fuck. Shit. Fucked up. A um <laughs> no no, a um a rabbit. A Catholic priest and a minister walk into a bar, uh huh. And the barman says to the rabbit What are you doing here? And he says, I'm a typo. Here's the dilemma,
1: listeners. Do I edit out the bit where dad fucked up and gave the punchline? Of course I don't. I'm not going to pretend I didn't hear it. All right, mate. It's important that we're all here for the creative process and for the candor that comes hand in hand or with... Loose Ends. Thank you so much for listening to the return of Loose Ends. We're going to see you next week for more Loose Units. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Make sure you tell every single person you know that Loose Units has roared back into your life. Share, like, subscribe. Go back and listen to old episodes. Do it. I mean, we're all, Dad and I have been going through and finding our favourite episodes and re-listening because we're psychos. Anyway, have a great weekend, everyone, and we will see you next week for more Loose Units. Bye. Cheerio.